Hey everyone, welcome back to Kicks and Picks. This is Coach Steve here. Uh, I'm actually flying solo without Nick or Scotty. They're out in Vegas, and uh, I've got a special guest today, Zach Lowy. I mean, big Portuguese football guy, Zach, with Breaking the Lines. You cover Portugal a lot for your podcast, so I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, great to be on. Uh, great to be discussing Portugal and uh, really excited for today's podcast. Yeah, I mean, Portugal is one of those leagues, you know, you have some good teams. They're doing very well in the Champions League, so, right. but they get a little less attention because they're not one of the quote unquote five, uh, you know, big leagues in Europe. But the Portuguese national team, I think there's a lot for, you know, the Portuguese to be excited about. They won the Euros a couple cycles ago. So, I mean, and of course, Cristiano Ronaldo gives us plenty to talk about. So we'll just start with the roster. I mean, most of the guys I think many of our listeners will be familiar with from the Premier League, Serie A, you got a couple, you know, throughout the big five leagues. But were there any surprise inclusions or exclusions for someone like you who follows a lot of the Portuguese players? So, yeah, with regards to the um, surprise exclusions, I think that the for me, the biggest surprise was definitely Renato Sanchez. Mm. Um, you know, he's a player who has already who was part of that victorious uh, Euro winning team back in 2016 as a teenager um, who paid the price for his move to Bayern Munich and missed out on the World Cup squad. Then, you know, went to Lille, enjoyed a career rebirth and was frankly one of Portugal's best players uh, during their uh, poor European campaign. Um, but missed out last month, uh, missed out in September uh, due to injury and missed out this time around, I think, because of, uh, yeah, because of failing to lock down a starting spot. It's actually Vitinha. Uh, who just joined from Porto, who, who gets included and who has been starting in midfield alongside Marco Verratti at uh, Paris Saint-Germain. So to be fair to Fernando Santos, uh, Renato has not been playing that regularly at um, at Paris Saint-Germain. I still would have included him, however, in the squad. But uh, it, it is definitely true that Portugal's midfield is, is absolutely phenomenal. I don't think there's a single uh, team in Europe that frankly, stacks up to their quality. Um, but, yeah, looking at the options, it, it was definitely hard to find a p- person, I think, to, to cut uh, for Renato Sanchez. Like I said, he and João Moutinho, uh, they both missed out. Uh, João Moutinho, I would say, was a surprise uh, in September, but not so much uh, not so much this time around because it does feel like, yeah, they are, they are closing the cycle on him at 35 um, so I didn't expect him to be on the squad, but I did expect uh, Fernando Santos to find a way to, to include Renato. But yeah, unlike João Mario, unlike Mateus Nunes, unlike those guys, you know, he is not playing regularly. Um, apart from Renato, the other uh, players who I was curious to see um, not not uh, included in the squad, uh, I think were, were wingers, to be honest, because you look at uh, Portugal in the, the lead up to the World Cup, uh, Rafa Silva, uh, who's been in incredible form for Benfica this season, retiring after receiving a call-up uh, in September. And that, combined with uh, Diogo Jota and Pedro Neto's injuries, I think definitely left the Celso, uh light in, in wide options. Still still got some great players there who can, who can perform, such as Joao Felix, Rafael Leao, Ricardo Horta. But uh, I would have definitely called up a winger, and um, it, Fernando Santos, on the other hand, he called up two center forwards in Gonzalo Ramos and Andre Silva. 
And I felt like it was going to be an either or between those two. But he called both of those uh, players, as well as, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, who will probably play, uh, who will probably start at, at center forward. So, yeah, I, I definitely would have gone with a wide option, such as Pedro Gonçalves, such as Jota, um, you know, plenty of others that I am not mentioning, but uh, that, that I felt would have been, would have made more sense than calling up uh, Andres Silva or Gonzalo Ramos. Yeah, a great shout on Sanchez. I completely forgot about him. And, you know, he was so hot on the market a couple summers ago. Like you said, he went to Bayern. I, I, as a Roma fan, I know there were links there. I don't know how serious they were when he was leaving. But he was a, he's a hot name, 25 years old. So I guess there's just so much talent in that midfield, like you mentioned. I didn't even, I didn't even catch that when I went through the roster the first time. So um, definitely a big name. That just kind of speaks to the, to the depth in the midfield. And I guess I was going to ask you about strengths and weaknesses. I guess... You know, speaking on what you were saying, I, I guess the midfield would be the the biggest strength in your opinion, right? Yeah, I, I would probably say midfield. Um, I do think that the one issue with midfield is I'm not sure that Fernando Santos has found his strongest midfield. You know, that's still a big question. People ask me who should start at defensive midfield uh, for for Portugal, and you know, I always tell them it depends on the game. Okay, I think that if you're playing a team like Spain, like Germany. Uh, you want to have the ball-winning ability and the physicality of Joao Paulinha. If you're playing against a, a team that's going to sit in a deep block, I think you might want William Carvajal. And, of course, there's other options such as Danilo Pereira and Ruben Neves. But, uh, yeah, it is absolutely clear that I think Fernando Santos, he still hasn't necessarily found his strongest uh, 11. And I think that looking at midfields, it's, it's really hard to pick... Uh, but but I think that Bruno Fernandes, he's definitely played his way into a starting spot with his recent form, scoring uh, a brace against Nigeria and recent friendly scoring against North Macedonia to book Portugal's ticket um, to Qatar, scoring, against, scoring another brace against the uh, Czech Republic. So, you know, he's been very effective. I think you have to include him as well as, I, I reckon, uh, Bernardo Silva and Otavio. Um I would also expect Ronaldo and probably João Félix to start. So, yeah, front three of Ronaldo, Otavio, and Félix uh, could very well be Rafael Leao as well. And then a midfield trio um, of probably Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, and uh, William Carvajal or Paulinho, depending on the game. But Ruben Neves, you know, he could easily uh, stake a claim there. João Mario, of course, he perhaps a bit of a surprise in September, but... You know, he's been phenomenal for Benfica this season. He's really enjoyed, enjoyed a uh, career resurgence. And let's not forget, he was part of that uh, victorious uh, Portugal team back in 2016, earning him that move uh, to Inter Milan. So, you know, he's a guy that Fernando Santos knows very well. I don't think that him or uh, Mateus Nunes are going to stake a uh, claim. But, but I think that uh, they, they could be very important. And I think that as well, of course, Vitinha and Ruben Neves, you know, they could feasibly... Uh, get in so so yeah there's a lot of homework for uh santos to do in terms of choosing his strongest uh strongest 11 yeah it's kind of a blessing and a curse right when you have a roster so deep like a portugal or or you know france and some of these these nations that the manager has this glut of talent to choose from but sometimes it's mixing and matching the right pieces i always think back to those england sides in like the early 2000s when and mid 2000s with gerard and lampard and and beckham and you had all these like star midfielders and it was finding the right combination. It just never worked out for them. They never, I don't recall them making any deep runs when, you know, back in the mid two thousands or so when all those guys were there, 
but on paper, they were also talented. And I think that's kind of what you speak to here with Portugal. Like he's got so many options. It's just picking and plugging the right pieces at the right times. And when is the right time to throw in maybe a Leal because you want more of a wing threat versus a, a more central threat. So I think even up front, you have those, those choices too, for him to make. And it's always good to have more options and less, right? Because you see it with these club teams and the injuries that they're going through. Like I see with my Roma, all these injuries and, Mourinho is very limited in what he can do at certain times. So you'd rather have more than than less, but it definitely creates a conundrum and it creates a lot for the media and the fans to second guess if things don't go right, I guess, too. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, so we'll get to Ronaldo. He's always going to be the, at least for this time being, the, the name for Portugal, right? But who else would you target as like the key guys that need to play well for Portugal to be a legit contender in this tournament? Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of names... Um, but I think that for me, one player who's going to be absolutely essential is, uh, is Joao Felix. Joao Felix, it's been an interesting few months for him, uh, losing his place as a, as a starter at Atletico, getting kind of frozen out of the team, but, uh, actually having a resurgence for an Atletico team that are suffering some of its lowest moments yet under uh, Diego Simeone. He's really stepped up, come in clutch with some uh, massive goals for the Rojiblancos. Um, and I think that he's, yeah, for sure, he's, he's peaking at the right time f- uh, for, for uh, all, all things considered. Uh, had a very good game um, against Nigeria in the recent friendly. Uh, and one thing that I felt, I felt was very important, uh, early on, he got a good opportunity but uh, scuffed at it was an embarrassing miss, but didn't let that weigh him down. And um, a few minutes later in the, I think the eighth minute, he picked out uh, Diogo Dalot with a fantastic ball. And uh, Dalot ends up assisting Bruno Fernandes to open the scoring. Uh, so that, you know, that was obviously massive. And while he didn't get on the score sheet, uh, I did feel like he was so confident, so important in linking up the play. And uh, yeah, another reason why I think, considering all the, you know, what, what has happened with Portugal's attack, whether that's the Rafa retirement, uh, whether that's the, um, the decline of Cristiano Ronaldo this season, whether that's the injuries to Diogo Jota and Pedro Neto, uh, I do think that Joao Felix, uh, when he's in form, he can just be so important for Portugal. And uh, yeah, I, I think that at, at this rate, I would certainly start him uh, in the opening game against Ghana. Yeah, de- definitely um, Atletico having a down season by their standards. So it's good to see him rebounding in time, like you said, for this tournament, 23 years old. The confidence is important for a young player like that, especially. Um Speaking of younger players, maybe lesser known players, like I had mentioned, many of these players are in Europe's big five leagues. A lot of them in in the Premier League at Wolves and clubs like that, and even bigger clubs like City. And then you have, you know, the the couple guys here and there in Italy and and France with PSG. They have a couple players in this team. Um, But in terms of the Portuguese players that you cover, um, anyone that maybe could uh, surprise, maybe get some minutes that someone who's not as familiar with, uh, you know, the Benficas of the world might open some eyes. Yeah, so with regards to the players who are uh, included from Portuguese teams, actually no sporting players uh, for the first time in in the history of, of Portugal's major tournaments. Uh, first time in, I think, 15, 16 tournaments that there's no sporting player. But uh, 
there is a Braga player in Ricardo Horta. I think that him, I think that he could have a very big impact coming off the bench. Uh, he's, you know, earned a recall to the Selesau in recent months. Uh, previously before that, had only played once back in 2014, but uh, has been doing very well for Braga and uh, the captain and, and has been uh, actually managed to become the top scorer in the history of Braga and uh, was subject of a lengthy transfer saga with Benfica, ended up remaining at Braga. And I, I definitely think this could be a big tournament for him. Um, apart from Braga, though, Porto, yeah, they've given up a few players for uh, the World Cup. And uh, Pepe is the obvious one. Um, he, I, I think that he's going to miss the first game due to injury. Uh, you know, he's he hasn't played that much lately. And I think that if he's not 100%, I don't think that Fernando Santos risks him. But uh, the other two players on, on Porto that are worth mentioning, Otavio and Joe Costa, both of them kind of breaking out uh, for Portugal in the uh, the uh, World Cup playoffs back in March. Diogo Costa making his debut actually during the uh, do or die knockout um, knockout match, getting the start over Rui Patricio. And yeah, despite the fact that uh, Rui Patricio started in the recent friendly against Nigeria, that was his only um, his only appearance for Portugal since the summer. Uh, I, I expect Diogo Costa to be starting in goal, and I think that he's already one of the best goalkeepers uh, in the world. He's become the first goalkeeper, I think, to save uh, three penalties in the same group stage. The this, the first goalkeeper to record an assist and save a penalty in uh, the same Champions League match. So he's definitely you know made his name for Porto over the past few months, uh, winning the starting spot last season in goal and uh, playing a vital role in Portugal's domestic double. So, and, and him, I think that apart from Costa, perhaps the most indispensable player in this Portu in this Porto team is Otavio. Uh, it's really just hard to underestimate just how important he is uh, for Sergio Conceição. But uh, we're finally seeing that being recognized at the international level. Otavio, like Mateus Nunes, like uh, Pepe, was born in Brazil, but uh, moved to Portugal at a young age, recently got Portuguese citizenship, and uh, yeah, I believe made his debut in March. So has really taken uh, the Celta by storm, really so important in terms of his work on and off the ball, as well as his vision to uh, pick a pass. So really complete uh, creative midfielder who, uh, yeah, I, I would actually expect him to be starting. Uh, there may be, you know, bigger names such as uh, such as Rafael Leal, such as, um, you know, so many, so many other players. But I think that this is, Otavio is definitely going to be a player that, yeah, maybe a lot of uh, mainstream fans haven't heard about, but, you know, who's going to uh, showcase his name on, on the international stage. And as for Benfica, um, they have called up João Mario, as I mentioned, uh, involved with the uh, victorious uh, 2016 Euros team. Um, they have. There's also Gonzalo Ramos, who uh, I believe got a maiden call up in in September, but didn't play at all during the uh, during the um, uh, matches, and uh, got his debut coming off the bench against Nigeria and scored on his debut, uh, as opposed to Andre Silva, who, uh, who's, you know, has played a lot for Portugal and who didn't score 
against Nigeria. So that's going to be interesting. I think that I, I think I expect Ronaldo to start in that central role, but uh, Gonzalo Ramos having a very good season for Benfica has really taken the mantle from Darwin Nunez. And Benfica, obviously, uh, one of two teams in Europe that are undefeated still. Uh, alongside Paris Saint-Germain, he's played an amazing role in that. And uh, the other player to mention is Antonio Silva. Uh, Antonio Silva has had just an incredible meteoric rise. Uh, made his um, he, he made his professional debut on August 27th against Boavista. Did very well. Kept a clean sheet there in a 3-0 win. Um, and was starting in the place of the suspended Nicolas Otamendi. Uh, following week, following match, Morato, who had been starting, uh, gets injured and, you know, has not returned since. So because of Morato getting injured, um, Otamendi has been, had, you know, Otamendi and Antonio Silva, this 18-year-old, well now 19, recently turned 19, have been starting in central defense. And uh, I think that says a lot about Roger Schmidt's trust in him because, you know, he decided to 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 start him ahead of... Uh, ahead of Jean Vertonghen, you know, an experienced international like Vertonghen and allowing him to leave to Belgium. Um, and that says a lot just about how, how much quality he has. He's been fantastic in central defense and uh, uh, got his maiden debut, maiden call up to Portugal for the World Cup, uh, starting in central defense alongside Ruben Dias uh, against Nigeria. And yeah, I think that... I, Personally, I think if, if Pepe isn't fit to play this World Cup, you know, if he's just bring if he's just being brought along for uh, experience and leadership in the dressing room, then you know it is what it is. But I think that I think that Danilo Pereira would probably start um, alongside uh, Ruben Diaz in central defense. But I I don't know Antonio Silva. He's just one of those talents that you watch and and you think, okay, this kid is going to be a star. And uh, you don't always see that in a center back, but but I think that he's done just so fantastic against the likes of Kylian Mbappe, um, you know, and, and Neymar. Yes, he's had some mistakes, but really just so composed and uh, acquits himself very well uh, on and off the ball. Yeah, that's impressive for a kid who's just turned 19. I saw he started all six of their matches in Europe but as I was looking him up because I wasn't familiar with him. I didn't really get to watch Benfica much. I don't get to see much Champions League live uh, with work. And, you know, you're talking about Benfica replacing Darwin with a 21-year-old striker pretty much. You have a 19-year-old center back and just speaks to the player development there in Portugal and the way they're developing these young kids and giving them the chance. I know as someone who follow, follows Serie A very closely, one of the biggest gripes with uh, the way Italian teams do things is they don't give players a chance until they're you know, 23, 24, 25 years old. And it's like, what are you waiting for? If a, someone's that talented, give them a shot, right? And, and Benfica's showing that it works if you do it the right way. And it's carried over to the national team here. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye out for Silva if he does get some starts or get some minutes at center back because big-time tournament, 19-year-old, it just speaks to the trust these managers have in him if he does get a start with Pepe out. And, and Ramos, like you said, if he can make an impact and – Great stuff, you know, covering these Portuguese players that we don't get to see much. I'm familiar with Otavio because they played Rome in the Champions League a few years ago, and I remember him being a very solid player in the midfield, and that was a few years ago. And I was going to actually ask you about uh, the goalkeeper position. You answered my question already because I've been watching Patricio all season, and and he has started to show his age a little bit. 
And I was wondering, you know, looking at the caps that the other goalies have, but you, you already spoke to it. Costa has been playing so well for Porto and I expect him to start. And that's probably going to be a, a good thing for them in the long run. As, as much as, you know, a player like Patricio has so much respect from his teammates, under five caps. Uh, he certainly has slowed down. Um, so speaking of Santos, you talked about a lot of the, the big decisions he's made and, you know, having to, to leave certain players home. He's going to have to, you know, figure out that midfield, how to piece it together and who's the right, the right fit, even with all this talent. So one thing I, I, I noticed about him as I was doing my research on Portugal is he's actually been with the Celis the since September of 2014, making um, this his fourth major tournament in charge. That's something rare in modern football to see a manager with the team for so many cycles. You know, they were the Euro 2016 champs. And then the last two tournaments, World Cup 2018, lost in around a 16 year Uruguay won nothing. Uh, we're knocked out of the Euros uh, just over a year ago, um, which ended up being in 2021 in the round of 16 to Belgium, one nothing. So what should we expect from Santos in terms of tactical setup, style of play? How do you think he's going to approach these matches with Portugal being one of the, the bigger teams in the tournament? Yeah, so with regards to Fernando Santos, I think that he is potentially uh, an Achilles heel for, for Portugal. I've said it for a while that I think that his conservative tactics are holding Portugal back from reaching his full potential. Uh, to be fair to him, you know, I'll give him credit for some decisions. I think that uh, benching Rui Patricio after his after his mista- uh, mistakes at club and international level, you know, it was ruthless, but it was necessary, and it's it's going to pay off uh, in Qatar, in my opinion. Uh, and I I do think that overall, he's he's a he's somebody who is conservative at heart. You know, he's. Uh, someone who really cares uh, about the result. Of course, that's that's the most important thing. But somebody who I feel has not been able to get the most out of Portugal for, for quite some time. Uh, Portugal, of course, they were able to win their first ever major uh, tournament under him shortly after taking over. Uh, and this was right after their poor 2014 World Cup. Paulo Bento, actually the current coach of South Korea, uh, he mm. got sacked after Port- after Portugal lost their uh, first qualifying match for the Euros, I believe, uh, against Albania. And yeah, Santos, who had coached, I believe, all of Porto, Benfica, and Sporting, as well as at a lengthy stay as the Greece uh, national team manager, uh, left his post with Greece to manage Portugal, and you know had a fantastic start. Of course, getting them to the uh, you know to their first ever major. Uh, trophy, but he did so with very much a a counterattacking uh, park the bus style, you know, a defensive style. That I think when you look at the players that have come through the ranks for Portugal in recent years, right, whether that's Bernardo Silva, João Felix, uh, they're not necessarily best equipped with that. You know, I think that it it worked in 2016, right, when you had that squad, the players they had. Uh, the Adrian Silvas and, uh, you know, Ricardo Quaresma and Nani, right? Those kinds of players. I think right now, this team, this Portugal team, they, they have so much quality uh, in, in midfield and, and attack and really every single area. They should be playing fantastic football. They should be playing yeah. for not just, not just to get, uh, you know, a, a one nothing win, not just to get the bare minimum, but to stake their claim on on opponents. And I just feel like, for me, the biggest issue with Fernando Santos is he's responsible for Portugal's mentality problem. They have this mentality where they think 
think that the bare minimum uh, is good enough. And I actually was in uh, Lisbon a year ago and I watched a game that kind of um, showed the, the perfect microcosm of, of, of this issue of, of why playing for just the bare minimum and the result is just so uh, costly. And, uh, it, you know, Portugal, they take the lead at the Estadio da Luz uh, within, I think, two minutes from Renato Sanchez. And uh, he, um, you know, and, and after that, Portugal, they, they just needed to hold on to, to the win to finish first in their group. But after that, Portugal completely shrunk away from the occasion. Um, and, and they allowed Serbia to get into the game uh, Serbia equalized before halftime and uh, scored right before the the final whistle to snatch first place. Made it so that that France um, that 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 uh, that Serbia went through and that Portugal had to play in the World Cup uh, playoffs, right against Turkey and North Macedonia. Same thing happened um, against France in the Nations League a few years back. Same thing happened. Uh, as well, recently against Spain, you know, they, they just needed a, a draw. They played for the draw. They sat back and played on the counter with Cristiano Ronaldo starting, which is pretty much like playing with 10 men if you're going to hit on the counter attack. Um, but but uh, they, they paid for it, conceded a late goal to Alvaro Morata, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, and yeah, lost out on on the Nations League first, you know, progression. So that. I think the kind of bare minimum thinking from Fernando Santos has definitely held Portugal back for quite some time. Yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, when I look at the roster, I look at the, the quality in the midfield, the forwards, and and less so the defense because, you know, Pepe's older and then you, have, you have a younger player um, that you mentioned before. You figure this is a team that should dictate play, especially against many of the teams that they'll come up against and, and not play that negative football that they can go toe-to-toe with the Spains of the world if they want to try to play possession football and and it's interesting because he's an older manager i just looked him up and he's 68 i saw and it's kind of that old school mentality that some of these countries have like the you know italy's had that mentality for a long time they're finally starting to break that mold under mancini um to success in the euros not so much to success in the qualifying for the world cup for other reasons but it's 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 got to be frustrating as a portugal fan to sit back and watch all this talent in the midfield and, and at the forward position, you're sitting back absorbing pressure and then just trying to play counterattack. And, and I guess sometimes these managers, I think they get set in their ways. Um, you know, they won the euros in 14 with that style with a different set of players. And sometimes you have to adjust as a manager. And I think, it, it, you know, with, with Italy, it ended up being he Mancini hung on to the same players for too long and that's caused them qualifying a little bit. And over here, it's, you got a great group of players that come through. So that's not an issue, but you got to adjust the mentality. I think you're absolutely right there. I think Portugal's a, a a group of players that really can impress if they want to, and and hopefully they they try to come out and play some beautiful football and and attacking football and not sit back against the South Koreas and the the Uruguays of the world as we'll get into the group in a little bit. Um, one player that we mentioned earlier, and I want to get into a little bit more now is Cristiano Ronaldo, now 37 years old. You know. One of the best players of all time. Some will say he is the best. Others will say Messi. Others will say Pele or Maradona, depending on who you ask and what generation they're from and all that. But it was off the pitch that we got the most attention from Ronaldo recently. He has not played much for United recently. And the, the elephant in the room is obviously his interview with Piers Morgan. I didn't see any of it. I just saw some you know, little tidbits on Twitter and, and in the press. But 
do you think this affects the dressing room at all? Him coming out and, and talking badly about ex-teammates and managers and, and just kind of airing all his, his dirty laundry now, right before a major tournament, affects this Portuguese squad at all? Listen, it does feel like uh, a punch and a run. You know, he's 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 punching Manchester United and running to international duty. But uh, with regards to how it impacts the dressing room, I don't think that it will have that much of an impact. João Mario admitted to this in, in a pre-match interview that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo being the center of attention at Portugal international duty, you know, that's that's nothing new for them. So and and as well as uh, for stuff that's happening uh, off the pitch as well, you know, he's had his fair share of controversy in that mm-hmm. regard. So I, I do I think that they are used to that. And um, it's not it's not something that's going to affect them that much, perhaps his United teammates. But even then, you saw it at the Nigeria in the Nigeria game. Bruno Fernandes and Diogo were both flying. They're focused on on, you know, bringing back a World Cup. Um, so I don't think that it's that much of an issue um, from from that perspective. I think that in a way it could help Ronaldo because uh, this is something that he's wanted to get off his chest. It's it's a weight off his shoulder. I think that he recognizes that he's played his last match for Manchester United, that he's burned that bridge. Um, and, you know, he realizes that no matter what, he's, he's not going to be back there in, in January. Question is, who's going to take him? Okay. But um, but but from the perspective of the World Cup, I, I do think that mentally it could it could help Ronaldo, you know, having this uh, having his feelings launched, uh, um, you know, publicized. I know he wanted to release this interview, um, talking about releasing it back in August, but uh, I'm not too concerned about the interview. OK, Piers Morgan, you know, and, and that, you know, it's kind of what you expect. But uh, and I think the bigger issue with Ronaldo is the fact that he is not that good of a footballer anymore in November Mm. 2022. Uh, One of the greatest players of all time, no doubt. But in 2022, at the age of, what, 37, how good is he still? And the answer is, I I really don't know. I mean, I, I am still expecting, you know, there's definitely a part of me still that's expecting Ronaldo to uh, you know to emerge from this funk and and to start playing uh, you know fantastic football for for Portugal and and I just think that right now we're 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 seeing a uh, a corpse a, a ghost of Ronaldo you know this is someone else I almost he just offers absolutely nothing on the pitch and uh, for so many years you know Ronaldo was able to adjust his game and uh and and uh adapt to the effects of father time but right now you know you look at him he's clearly not an effective presence in terms of uh pressing you know when when you play with him in that regard you're just gonna have to accept that it's gonna be a lot harder to win back the ball in advanced areas because he makes no effort whatsoever but in terms of on the ball you know he isn't scoring uh goals he isn't finishing putting away those easy chances that he's become so accustomed to uh he's also getting you know outpaced out muscled by by these players who uh you know you just didn't expect them to to have that advantage over over him physically so he's lost that physical advantage on on so many players and that's been so important uh to his game and i i just think that right now uh, he's an absolute. Uh, he he is not a top level footballer right now, from what we have seen over the first few months of the season. And this is really his last hurrah. You know, I think that 
if he does not show up this tournament and have a big performance for Portugal, I think that Manchester United is going to be the last top-level uh, European club that Ronaldo ever plays for. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because he was always been like, you look at his, his physique and you're like, man, if you could just create a footballer and how would you build him? Like now modern footballer, like I would always point to him, right? He's got the the size, the pace, the strength. He's a, he's a, he's a freak in the, the, the weight room, right? Constantly working out. He deprives himself pretty much of, of every, every pleasure from a food standpoint and like wine standpoint and everything. And, and you're right. Father time doesn't slow down for anybody. And we're starting to see that with him now at 37 years old and he hasn't adjusted his game. And it's very interesting. And part of me thinks, you know, because he's so prideful and he's, he is such a great player or has been such a great player that, He's going to come on, come in with his chip on his shoulder. He wants to move to another club. He, he, the, the bridges are burned at United, and he still wants to play Champions League. He keeps saying maybe he'll come out and he'll he'll put on a show like we're used to. But then the other side of it is you look at him at United. He's barely played. He hasn't done well. And you, you wonder how much he has left to give. I mean, what role do you expect him to play? Do you think they'll just play him in the nine position and, and hope that he can chip in some goals because he's not going to do the pressing out on the wing or in these other places in the pitch? And is is that the best role for him at this point? Because I, it's it's hard for Santos to go and, like not start him the way that Ten Hagen has. Listen, I think that the best role for Ronaldo is on the bench. But uh, the fact of the matter is, I'd be very shocked if Ronaldo if if Santos does bench him. I think that's the decision that you need to you need to make collectively. Okay, yeah. it can't be just the coach, you know, taking the shot because Ronaldo the amount of money he makes for Portugal mm. in terms of ticket sales, in terms of jersey sales, you know, in in a way, he is bigger than Portugal in terms of if we're talking about financially. So, like I said, Fernando Santos is not going to have the cojones to just drop Ronaldo out of nowhere, especially when he's publicly defended him time and time on. Uh, so so I think there's there's little chance of seeing him on the bench, even though, I think the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, looking at the likes of Rafael Leal, uh, Joao Felix, Otavio, those guys are all clearly better players than Ronaldo in 2022. But uh, I think that if you bench Ronaldo, you're going to also have to accept that you are saying goodbye to the Ronaldo era. And I, I'm not sure if that's something that, that, that they're willing to do right now. Yeah, it's got to be hard even for a nation of fans to accept, right? Because he he has been alongside Messi, one of the, the the best players of his generation, one of the best players of all time. And a smaller country like Portugal doesn't produce superstars like that regularly, even though they do have very good players consistently. It's he is to another level, and and that you make a great point. Like once you put him on the bench, if it's Santos making a decision alone, which he probably won't do, uh, it's a bold statement. So. You know, looking at the the betting standpoint, the books still his name still carries weight because he's the fifth betting favorite to win the Golden Boot at plus two thousand. The, the favorites are Cannon and Mbappe coming uh, to start the tournament at plus eight hundred, Messi plus nine hundred, Neymar plus twelve hundred, followed by Ronaldo. Any chance he can do it? In terms of Ronaldo finishing as the top scorer, top scorer, yeah. <laughs> um, I would be very shocked if he finishes Agreed. as the top scorer. I think there's a good chance he doesn't finish a top score of Portugal, let alone the tournament. But um, no, I, I I very much doubt that. If he can barely score against Sheriff Tiraspol and Ammonia Nicosia, I don't see him beating out the likes of 
uh, Killian Mbappe and Lionel Messi for the top scorer crown. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think, I think that's one of those things where the books still value his name more than anything and can probably sucker some people into some bets. I can't imagine he, he goes deep enough and wins it um, at the rate he's going right now. So talk about the group um, now moving on to their opponents. It's Uruguay, South Korea, and Ghana. There are certainly some interesting um, little caveats to this draw with Uruguay being the team that eliminated them. The last world cup, you mentioned the the connection with the South Korean manager. Um, what were your initial reactions to this draw when uh, you saw who Portugal drew? My initial reaction was uh, this is the group of revenge because there are really so many interesting emotional storylines. You look at it from, for example, Portugal, uh, South Korea. Uh, South Korea obviously beating Portugal in, those, in that controversial 2002 World Cup match. Mm. Uh, and from the other standpoint... Uh, you know, Paulo Bento getting sacked and replaced by uh, Fernando Santos in 2014. He wants to avenge himself. He wants to show that to Portugal that they made the wrong decision firing him. Um, Portugal, Uruguay, of course, Uruguay uh, knocked out Portugal in the round of 16 last time around. Uh, Portugal, Ghana, they also played in, in the 2014 World Cup. And uh, of course, who could forget uh, the the Ghana uh, Uruguay match in 2010 with Luis Suarez's infamous handball. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, emotional uh, emotional standpoints. And, you know, even from the Ghana's standpoint, uh, I'm not sure how many players were uh, were playing for Ghana uh, in 2010 that are still on the team. But all of those guys were, were surely watching that, uh, you know, as some as kids, some as footballers uh, on their television. And they want to avenge their country and they're going to be they're going to have a chance to do it against uh the villain himself Luis Suarez in his uh, what will certainly be his final world cup yeah a lot of great storylines in this group you know maybe they're not as as prominent as some other ones because maybe team you know people at least in the U.S. aren't as familiar with the Ghana Uruguay aspect and some of these other things and then now you brought up Porta with the the manager that brings a great storyline in from a tactical standpoint when those teams meet uh it'll be interesting so Looking at the way this group is being, you know, kind of configured by by the books, Portugal, the favorites to win the group at minus 143, Uruguay is a plus 180, South Korea plus 1100, Ghana plus 1400 to win the group. Uh, do you think this truly re- reflects the balance of power with, you know, Portugal being pretty decent favorites over Uruguay and, and, you know, pretty heavy favorites compared to the other sides? Some people, though, I saw Sports Illustrated pick Uruguay to win this group. How do you think the sides compare Listen, from my perspective, I certainly think that Portugal is the strongest on paper. But uh, I, th- I definitely think that Portugal or Uruguay could win this. It's, it's hard for me to pick Uruguay. Um, so much you know, experience, so much quality in, in various assets. Um, and I think that Portugal, the, the issue is, I, I don't think it's a coincidence as well, that, that the people who I feel are most skeptical on Portugal's chances are Portugal fans because they actually watch Portugal on a regular basis. And they know that just because Portugal have immense quality doesn't mean that you're, that you're going to see that in the performances. So uh, I, I think that I, I'm not sure if I would put Portugal as the overwhelming favorite over Uruguay. Uh, I do think that Ghana and South Korea are uh, significantly uh, inferior opposition you know, we'll see what happens, but uh, I think that I, I definitely expect those two t- uh, teams to finish uh, to finish in the top two. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think Korea can give 
you know, these teams problems, but I, I it's going to take a lot for them to get the win. I mean, you know, son would have to probably play the game of his life. You know, he doesn't have as much support as he does with Spurs and, and, and uh, the center back Kim has been very good for Napoli this year. We'll see how he matches up against, you know, Nunez uh, when he plays Nunez and then against Portugal against whoever they start up top. But um, just to put the lines out there, you answered the question if you thought either of those teams had a chance, but it's just to advance uh, from the group Portugal's minus 600. So, you know, very heavy odds in their favor. You're right. Minus 250. Then Korea's plus 240 and plus 280. I agree with you. I think it's going to take a lot for those teams to get out. And and I'll, I'll just throw this one out there. Do you think it's best that Portugal starts with Ghana in their first match? So it's kind of like the weakest opponent of the group to kind of build up to um, Uruguay and Korea in those, those other two matches. Do you think that's a, an advantage or a disadvantage? Listen, I'm tempted to say that South Korea on paper is the weakest, um, but but I think that, yeah, for sure, those are two teams that are, are the underdogs, right? Um, I think it's probably an advantage, though, because I think that uh, there's a good chance that Portugal win this game. Um, I expect them to win it. And I think that getting that result, uh, that opening result, you know, it, it's massive. It, does, it certainly doesn't guarantee anything, right? Portugal is 2016 euros. That began with, um, with I believe, a defeat to Hungary, if I'm not mistaken, and, um, and some poor results. Portugal's 2020 Euros, on the other hand, it, I believe it began with a 3-0 victory against, uh, against Hungary. Um, so obviously those two uh, tournaments went in opposite directions for the Salaso. But you still want to... I think, uh, you know, get a strong result, especially with the Uruguay game uh, in, you know, coming up. Um, and I think that from Portugal's perspective, they'll certainly be thinking they can do that against Ghana. Did just beat a West African nation in Nigeria, who, of course, came close to uh, knocking out Ghana in the World Cup uh, qualifiers. So I think it's probably an advantage for Portugal. Yeah, I, I agree. So we talked about this is going to be Ronaldo's last World Cup, last chance to win a World Cup. Uh, what do you think the minimum to consider this tournament to be a relative success would be from a Portuguese perspective? And, you know, what is Portugal's ceiling compared to some of the other tournament favorites? So Portugal is currently the eighth betting favorite at plus 1,500. That's behind Brazil, Argentina, France, Spain, England, Germany, and the Dutch. So where do you see them as like a minimum success and uh, – you know, what is the ceiling? Is the ceiling a, a trophy or do you think maybe they're a step below some of those other sides? I think that, I mean, when you look at the quality that Portugal has, for me, I mean, there there are very few countries that can uh, stack up the quality in multiple positions, okay? Um, with that being said, I just think when you look at the performances, I don't have Portugal necessarily as one of my favorites. I think that, for me at least... Uh, Argentina and Brazil are my two favorites uh, to win this. And I think that they've had a lot more consistency. Portugal, it feels like, are uh, reaching the end of a cycle with Fernando Santos. Maybe they don't know it yet. Maybe uh, this will be somewhat of a, a, a rude awakening, you know. Um, but, but I do think that, um, I think that that's, that's the biggest question. Is Fernando Santos going to be able uh, to get the most out of this squad. I'm just not sure uh, if, if he can. But I think that, yeah, like I said, Brazil, Argentina, um, I would put above them France, England, um, Spain, and and Germany. I would also put above them. I don't think there's there's anyone else I would 
put above them. I think Portugal, look, on their day, they can beat anyone. Um, their ceiling should be winning the thing. They're that good um, in terms of paper, on, in, in terms of what they have in their squad. Um, so they can't be content with, they certainly can't be content with a third straight uh, round of 16 exit in a major tournament. Yeah, I think it's got to be at least quarterfinals and depends who you draw and kind of go from there. I, I think anything less than that probably has to be considered a failure. Um, and it'll be interesting because there's a lot of good teams. I agree with you. I think Brazil and Argentina right now to me are the two the two favorites, especially with all the injuries France has. Um, and we'll see where it goes. It'll be interesting. So a couple little uh, prop bets we want to throw out there before we let you go, Zach. Um, one interesting one they have out there is team totals for the tournament. Portugal over seven and a half goals is a uh, minus 110 over is minus 125 and this is depending on how far they play they could play three matches four or five six so do you see them going over seven and a half goals as a team scored um yeah i i, I think there's a good chance of that i think that portugal um they they definitely they're a hot and cold team but they're a team that could i think feasibly score you know three or four goals in one game we've seen that in quite a few instances I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you, if they get the right, you know, accommodation going against Ghana there, that could be a three, four goal game there. And, and maybe they're off a running with, you know, beating seven and a half goals by the end of the group stage, who knows? Um, and then one other one you had mentioned, you, you don't know if Ronaldo will even be the team's top goal scorer, let alone being in contention for the golden boot. So I'm going to throw out the odds that Vegas has at the top six, you know, potential goal scorers for Portugal that people can bet on Ronaldo's minus minus one fifteen. Uh, Leal plus 800, Bruno Fernandez plus 900, Joao Felix plus 1200, Bernardo Silva plus 1200, Andre Silva plus 1600. Is who you have in mind any of those players or is it someone outside of that group? I think for, for top score, um, yeah, I, I don't think it will be Ronaldo. I think that uh, Rafael Leal potentially, uh, he could step up. I think that he's, you know, he's obviously a phenomenal player, but hasn't really had that uh, awakening yet for the Celestial. You know, he hasn't really staked his claim. And that you could say that for a lot of players. So I think this is going to be for sure uh, a changing of the guard. I think it's a opportunity for guys like Joao Felix, like Rafael Leao. Uh, I would say those two, for me, are my two likeliest options uh, to win top score. But actually, I, I'm not sure if I would go with two. I think that Bruno Fernandes, he certainly needs to be in the conversation. And... Uh, and I would probably put him, yeah, top three because he's he's chipped in some massive goals. Uh, he's getting into good form with Manchester United, um, and and I think that he uh, will will definitely be in the running for Portugal's top scorer. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely other options. Ronaldo, like you said, hasn't performed this this well this season, so it'll be interesting to see. Leao's a guy I've seen plenty in Serie A score some big goals for Milan, especially in their Scudetto season last year. Um, definitely want to keep an eye on if he can kind of finally make that like big impact on the the national team stage it'll be interesting to see so i mean zach you covered portugal so thoroughly this was this was great i feel so well informed now with a uh, team that you know maybe doesn't get as much love as the france of the world and the argentinas and the brazils but still has plenty of talent so let every, all of our listeners know where they can find all your great work absolutely you can find me on uh zach lowy z-a-c-h-l-o-w-y on twitter um as well as btl vid uh, on Twitter, that's breakinglines.com. We are covering the World Cup uh, in heavy detail there. 
Yeah, great stuff there. Definitely head over there and check out some of Zach's work and all of his colleagues at BTL to, to get more great World Cup coverage. And Zach, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. It was a pleasure.